Religions teach essentially the same thing? How unique is Christianity from all the other world religions? Since all religions have miracle claims, how can we know which one is true? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, Listen as Pat interviews his guest, renowned apologist, Dr. Gary Habermas, as they reveal the uniqueness of Jesus from all other religions of the world. If you're unable to hear any of this broadcast, all of our studies are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's Pat. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we present compelling evidence for faith in Christ and present biblical answers to the challenges Christians face today. Well, do all religions teach essentially the same thing? Is Christianity unique from all the religions in the world? If so, how unique is Christianity and Jesus Christ? Well, to address this issue with us today is one of the foremost defenders of our faith today, Dr. Gary Habermas. And if you studied the resurrection of Christ, then you should know this name, Dr. Gary Habermas. Gary received his Ph.D. from Michigan State University. He serves now as a distinguished research professor teaching in the doctoral program at Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary. He also serves as the chair of the Department of Philosophy at Liberty University, where he has taught since 1981. He is the author and co-author or editor of some 41 books, including some of my favorites, Why Is God Ignoring Me?, The Historical Jesus, and Verdict on the Shroud, Evidence for the Death and Resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has debated some of the top atheists and skeptics across the world, so his evidence and his arguments for the resurrection have indeed been battle-tested. He is married to Eileen. They have seven children and 13 grandchildren in Lynchburg, Virginia. So, Gary, welcome back to the show. Well, Pat, always glad to be on with you or doing anything with you for that reason. Uh, good, good to hear from your voice. Yes, Gary's a regular on this show and uh, hoping that we'll have him back in Hawaii more often. One of the favorite speakers out here in the islands. Well, I, I enjoy it. One of the guys that heard I was coming on with you today said, uh, you're doing a radio interview in Hawaii. I said, yeah. He said, you should require that they uh, have to have you in the office live. <laughs> that would be great. Well, Gary, tell us about your most recent work here, The Uniqueness of Jesus Among the World Religions. Why'd you write it? Well, I mean, Pat, this is more your area than mine. I'm mildly interested in it, uh, the subject, but as the years have gone on, I've gotten more interested in the historical contrast between the founders of the major world religions. And so, you know, it started with a little bit of my class notes here and a little lecture there and okay, let's add two more reasons and do another lecture over here. And, and over the years, it's kind of grown. And I thought, well, you know, this is worthwhile to do a, a book. I mean, it's, it's on my website. It's GaryHabermas.com, and it's actually a free, a free e-book. I do it for free download to help people with apologetics. And I try, I think the main thing I'm after in this book, but there's several things I found that really interest me, but... I, what I'm trying to do the most in here is to deal with the historical question, which is my uh, my area, and uh, 
I'm interested in the historical question of, I guess if I nailed, nailed it down to this one question, how long after Jesus are our earliest historical sources that record aspects, key aspects of his life? Of course, the chief for Christianity would be what we call the gospel, the deity, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And when are the historical writings of the major founders of the major world religions, how soon is the first extant copy in years, how, how long after the death of the other founders is the first copy? So I'm asking the historical question, and I realize not all the religions value history the same way, but, you know, uh, I just suspect that if, if, if Christianity is, is, you know, early, without question, that's, that's a real plus. Yeah, Gary, tell us, why is the date of the writings so important here? Well, it's important because, you know, I, I hear this or that about, uh, let's say, let, let's distinguish uh, Chinese Buddha from, from Indian Buddha, from, I'm talking about the major schools there, um, or Zoroaster, or Lao Tzu, or, you know, Muhammad, or Moses, or Jesus. You know, I've heard there's differences between the writings of the book, but I would hear every once in a while, I'd hear some kind of fact, and I would think, oh, my, that's the earliest source? They go, yeah, yeah, that's the earliest text we have. Well, the more I read, I started getting the the people who did each of these, who believe each of these religions, the religious people themselves, saying, yeah, yeah, your your facts are true. That That's the earliest our source is. And I thought... How can you be happy with that? I mean, how can you, how can you, know what your founder taught unless you don't think what he taught is the preeminent thing? I don't know. It's a bit of a Western concept, but, but, but when there's gaps, huge gaps. I mean, a thousand or more years between what the person wrote and the earliest writings, that would sure bother me if I were a a follower of a particular religion, and if I thought that that particular founder was important to my faith, if I can't tell what he taught, then, you know, what kind of path did he teach, and how do I know if I'm even on it or not? Yeah, so, you know, yeah, I think in one of your works, historians have been able to show that it takes about two to three generations for legends to start creeping in to the text, and so when you have a centuries gap you know, that allows for legends and exaggerations and misinformation to creep into the text. So getting the date as close to the life of the author as possible is really critically important in historical studies, as you're talking about. Isn't that right? Oh, it's incredibly so. I mean, just to use one example, just one, and, that, and as he started pounding, uh, piling up, I started thinking, this is amazing. This is, this is represented uh, several times over. But in a major... A study called the Buddhist Scriptures by Edward Conzi, who who's just been dead for a short while. I mean, he's a modern scholar, PhD, Buddhist. He starts his book out, and he feels like he's got to say on page the first page when you open the book. I mean, of course, I'm paraphrasing, but he feels like he needs to say, uh, you know, basically, you know, to my to my Christian readers, I just want you to know we don't have what you have. Not that's how he starts his book. Now, his, his main theme is no religion has more holy texts than Buddhism. I think he says 250 
large volumes that they got everything. He said, so I want to put the most beautiful, most influential, the best texts of Buddhism in this little book. And so he starts writing, secular publisher, and like I said, he's a Buddhist. And he says, we don't have what Christians have. He says, they have the words of their Lord. We don't have the words of our Lord. He says, they have the words of those who studied under their Lord and their students, um, the students of them. We don't have that. And they know what Jesus taught, and we don't have Buddha's writings. In fact, he goes on to say, we don't even know what Buddha taught. We can't be sure. And then he said, he's about a half a page into it now, and he says, we don't even know which of the four major uh, schools of thought. We don't even know which one Buddha held to. We can guess. But he said, we don't really know his teachings. And he said, I hate to be pushy and tell people it's this view or that view, he said, I try not to answer that question because he said every effort to line up the teachings of Buddha lead to nothing but argument and hurt. And he said, so I'm just going to say we don't know what Buddha taught. And that's how he starts. He said, we don't even know what school of thought he belonged to. Yes, and clumsy. And the opening comments. Yeah. And, and you're talking about a committed Buddhist who is a good historian, a good scholar. A PhD, yep. Yeah. yep. Well, Gary, in your recent work here, The Uniqueness of Jesus Among the World Religions, you state that comparing and pointing out key differences between major religions is not being done today. Why not? Uh, that's the million-dollar question, Pat. I, I, I think for a lot of reasons. I think until recently, the world's not been a sufficiently small enough place that we come in contact with other beliefs like 24-7. So... We don't ask those questions. It's like, oh, yeah, Buddhists, they're the ones on the other side of the world. And, uh, oh, yeah, uh, you know, Confucianists or Zoroaster, yeah, isn't that a really small group somewhere over maybe in the Middle East? I mean, who knows? And, and you know, people say things like, yeah, Buddha, he claimed to be God, right? Because people assume that a lot of the major founders made claims to deity. And so you hear that, but you don't have anything to compare it to because we don't run in those circles a lot. Uh, I think that's one thing. I think another thing is the incredibly important overall emphasis in tolerance, that religion is about tolerance. And if you were to say, I'm sorry, but on this fact, I've got the inside track, well, there's a hundred things people think about you and they're not good. But I bet in the case I just exampled, uh, it's, it's, Conzi who says we don't have what you have and it's Conzi who says uh, we don't even know what Buddha taught and uh, oh by the way he then he goes on to say all the selections in this book are 600 to 900 years after Buddha died and, and that's amazing because if he's trying to pick out the best Buddhist text and the closest they come to Buddha is 600 years in in historical terms, I think that's really damaging. But I think those are the two main reasons. People don't know other views, and they don't come into contact with people, so they kind of just assume they know what it is, and all religions lead to God, and yeah, whatever, and that's it. And the other one is nobody wants to say they're right. But the interesting thing is what happens when somebody in another religion says Christianity's right in this one? And they go, well, let's see, they're just being graceful. They're just well, really? I mean, Conzi's saying a lot more than that. He's saying we know what Jesus taught, we don't know what Buddha taught. That's more than being graceful. That's a matter of truth. 
he's claiming anyway that it's a matter of truth, and it's not the Christians who are saying so. So I'd like to cite Greg Kokel, uh, you know, a good, a good friend. Who I, I love his little comment. I'm not trying to convert you. I just want to put a stone in your shoe. He's a, he's a really good guy, and he's really interested in world religions. And and he thinks it's because people today think world religions are like ice cream. You choose the flavor you want. Whatever you're comfortable with, eat it, and it's good. And if I told you you're going to hell because you don't like pistachio, you probably never talk to me again. So I don't, we, don't <laughs> yeah. jer- we don't need jerks like you, you know? Mm-hmm. But... Greg's point is that we treat religion like, like uh, ice cream, and we don't realize. He said, "He says ice uh, Christianity, religion is not ice cream. Religion is like insulin. That's his example." And he says, "If you take ice cream when you need insulin, you may die." So some things it really makes a difference whether what's right and what's wrong. And he, he takes great pains to show that religion is ultimately like insulin and not like ice cream. Yeah, Gary, you know, it's gonna, this is going to be a very valuable work in Asia where we are, and here in Hawaii, as you know, where we you know, have a clash of numerous world religions right here, right at our doorstep. But, you know, a lot of people will say, well, religion is based on spiritual truths. You know, not empirical or, you know, historical facts. It's about spiritual truth. So how can, how can you really say one is right and one is wrong? It, it really is like ice cream, because we're dealing in the spiritual realm. Even if that claim were true, I don't think religion would be like ice cream. I don't think it would be the same as, you know, if you like pistachio and tell me I don't, I'm going to go to hell because of it. Um, I doubt it's like that. But take take Conzi again. I mean, I, there's other... There's other writers we could use instead of him. In fact, I've used other writers for different religions, but let, let the Hindus speak for themselves and let others speak for themselves. He's saying we don't know what Buddha taught. So if, if you think it's important, if, if, you, if your position is what Buddha, what we think Buddha taught, is all that I care about is does it meet my needs and does it make me feel good and does it give me peace and that's all you want to talk about i mean you can go to a psychology class and get that you can go to a you know you can you can learn certain cognitive techniques you can pay 150 dollars an hour to get any number of drugs i don't mean the bad kind i mean just like you know for anxiety or depression you can if what you want is just to calm down do it but but my my question is i want to know if i, I guess here's the way I, I think about it i want to know if there's a life beyond this one and if there is I want to know what's the path and if I can't evaluate it I can't know what's true I can't follow it again understanding that there's something like insulin here I mean if in fact it is true that there is a certain path and you better be on it then I want to know what it is now I mean maybe I'm just talking off the top of my head here but Maybe there's a reason Christianity is the number one religion in the world in terms of adherence. Now, I, I don't head count. I'm not saying head count determines truth by a mile. But there's something there that's attracting people, and maybe it's because she, while other founders are saying, you know, Jesus is saying, and with other founders, they're all saying, I've got a path. 
for you. But Jesus says, I am the path. There's other religions, teachers say, what you do with my words determines your state of bliss. I mean, even Buddha teaches that. He, these people that, well, I just want to know the spiritual truth, uh, it does make a difference in Buddhism what you believe and what you're practicing to uh, obtain nirvana. And uh, so I don't think it's true that you can just get there any old way. I don't think that's true. But if I know, if I know that this certain treatment of Buddha is not what Buddha taught, because the sources are late and there's contradictory teachings and so on, then I'm still curious about what the path is. I guess, I guess if it's available, I want to know what it is, and I want to know how I know what it is. Yes, you know, and religions, you know, base their conclusions, you know, on their view of the reality of the world here, you know, on the facts. You know, the world is an illusion, or the world is real. The universe has a beginning. The universe is eternal. The universe shows design. All those have metaphysical implications. And so they're building their case on the facts that we see here. And the question we have is, which one matches up with the facts? Isn't that right? That's right. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's right. If, I mean, it does make a real difference between whether the, the, what the example, one of the examples you chose is the world eternal or is the world finite. I was just talking to a fella maybe a half hour before you called, and I don't know if you've heard this yet, but the, uh, on their website, the Royal Society in the UK, you know, there's hardly, you'd have to look a long way to find a more authoritative organization there. And they are having meetings in early November, and they're proclaiming that evolution is false. And it's not false in the sense, I don't mean they'll never say anything's true about it, but that it's not meeting their needs and you can't take the two major, what they're saying is you can take the two major tenets of evolution, uh, natural selection and mutations, and they've long taught that the two of them together equal evolution. And now they're saying they do know, especially through the science of genetics, that this is not true. You can't get evolution that way not big evolution, not macro evolution. You can't get it that way. And so now they're saying, the Royal Society is having a meeting, people who come and hear lectures, and hear them say, we need a new paradigm. Now, if, if that's what people on the other side are saying, we're not satisfied, it's not meeting our needs, we need it. Um, and if Edward Conzi's saying, yeah, we don't even know what Buddha taught, I mean, I do think people care whether something is true or false. I think that's, that would shake me up if somebody told me we have ultimate proof that Christianity is not true. Go get another one. That would be a real crisis for me. Yeah, certainly. But that looks like that is what's going on with naturalistic evolution. Wow. Hey, Gary, now you state here in your book there's a double standard when researching miracle claims of Christianity <laughs> with other religions. Right. Tell us how this double standard is seen. Pat, this is just so... You don't have to read very far in the religions before you, before you see this, this double standard. I mean, I'll give you an example or two. When you get to Christianity, I mean, I mean, I would like to think it's because people just know Christianity measures up pretty firmly historically. And so they will apply, scholars now, they will apply the toughest rules to Christianity. And, oh, man, you're lacking just a little bit here. Yeah, but, I mean, that's a 90 percent, or what's wrong with 90 percent? That's a pretty good scientific argument. Yeah, but what about the 10 percent? Okay, what about this religion over here? 
and they'll go, these are real examples, but I'm just putting in kind of a goofy little, you know, storybook form, and people say, yeah, we got 90%er here. Well, how about this other religion? Yeah, yeah, well, they teach this. Well, I know what they teach, but how do you know it's true? Well, yeah, I'm telling you, they, they teach this. Right, but there's a difference between teaching something and saying something's true. How do you know that religion's true? I don't know. They've been teaching this for a long time. They've been teaching this for centuries. Yeah, that might make me suspected even more. How do I know? They don't apply the same rules. I can give you examples if you want, but in one major book published by Oxford University Press on the world religions, the author comes to Jesus and he'll say, what do we know about Jesus? And the guy says something like, unfortunately, all we have are second-generation Gospels. Really? Second-generation Gospels. Hmm. How long are the Gospels after Jesus? Well, they begin to be written about 30 to 40 years after Jesus died. 30 to 40 years. All right, then you flip to another chapter, and the person goes, unfortunately, we have to do with second-generation sources. Okay, we go to the chapter on Buddhism, and the author says, yeah, uh, in a real quick half sentence, the author says, yeah, uh, yeah, these things were written down for several hundred years after Buddha died. And, and not even telling you how long after. Now, we already saw the, these, this isn't all of Buddhism, but of the sources Edward Conzi decided to use, the Buddhist scholar we had already identified, the sources that he thinks are the best sources to kind of parade, to showcase, he said they're 600 to 900 years later. And you're going to sit there and say, well, unfortunately, the Gospels are only second generation plus 30 or 40. <laughs> Did, you want to say, do you hear yourself? 30 to 40 is bad, but 500 is kind of good? Good to go? I mean, is that your point? Yeah. Oh, by the way, Pat, Pat, even in that argument, when you say, what about people who say it's all about spiritual... I mean, is your view, but when you give a real popular objection, yes, it is a popular objection. Yeah, I don't care about history and proof. I only care about spiritual truth. Why does the rural religious scholar who writes this book have to, if it doesn't make a bit of difference, why does he say, unfortunately, we have a second-generation source of the Gospels? Why does he feel he's got to put the Gospels down? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, apparently something makes a difference. That's one example. I'd give you, uh, I might give you some others, but one more. When I debated Anthony Flew for the first time, uh, I mean, he died a, a theist, a yeah. theist or a deist. Perhaps the greatest atheist philosopher of our generation when he was an atheist. Yeah, yeah. Uh. you know, Pat, he may have written more pro-atheist literature than anybody who ever lived. Yeah. And when he was still an atheist, he and I dialogued on the resurrection in uh, 1985, and we had responses from three very well-known people. One of them was a conservative, uh, J.F. Packer. One of them was a moderate, Wolfhart Pondenberg, the German. And one was, uh, I guess you'd say, a liberal, and that's the American philosopher Charles Hartshorn. Hartshorn's talking in the book about what his evaluation of the resurrection is. And he says, basically, when he starts his essay, he goes, yeah, well, I don't think very highly of resurrections, because if I accept the resurrection of Jesus, I have to accept I basically have to accept Buddha's miracles. And so he ends the essay, as I recall the exact words are, he ends the essay, my metaphysical bias is against resurrection. 
All right, now let's think about those comments. I don't like resurrection because if I did, it would it would push me to be fair and accept Buddha's miracles. When's the miracle? When's the resurrection reported for the first time? Well, I mean, I I, I document this in this little book and many other things I write. But Bart Ehrman, who's the best known skeptic probably in the world right now, and I just got done saying that a bunch of times in England, and nobody nobody questioned me. Probably the best known skeptic in the world. Bart Ehrman says the reports of resurrection that we have, they go back to one to two years after the cross. One to two years. Wow. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, additional audio, and also Pat's books. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Yeah.